storm surge and the wind. Uh, no doubt a lot of people, I, I saw a picture yesterday afternoon on, they were showing on, or sometime yesterday, they were showing on the news of a, of a building at uh, Lake Charles, Charles Louisiana, uh, where the, some of the, many of the windows had been blown out and they said they had just replaced the windows from the previous, from the previous hurricane. So be in prayer for those people down there. It's no doubt very, uh, very difficult on them and, uh, uh, trust that, uh, they will recover fast. Well, as many of you know, we've been talking about things in the, uh, and I started kind of an odd spot several weeks ago, but uh, kind of did a verbal summary of the first two or three chapters of the book of uh, Romans and then dove into about the fourth and fifth chapter uh, and have been working my way uh, through, through this now. Uh, last week, beginning uh, the first part of the eighth chapter of the book of Romans and uh, beginning to teach and trying to do something that... Uh, you know, no doubt uh, I should have done many years ago, but I thank God that over the years uh, He's blessed me to grow in the grace and the knowledge of His Word, and I, I feel like I have <laughs> I have grown over over the years in my learning and my ability. And so, uh, as we've tried to look at this book of Romans, what we've tried to do is put the message of Romans in the context of what Paul was trying to convey to the church at Rome. Uh, which is something we should always try to do, but I know a lot of times we go in and 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 pluck verses out of out of uh, chapters and preach on those or use them in other places, and that can be that can be a useful kind of teaching. Uh, but I think at this at this point in time, feel feel a, a need to go back and look at this book of Romans and say what was the what was the message and how do these scriptures fall in place. With the, with the overall message of the book. And uh, so what, some of the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks is, is how that Paul was writing to a group of people that the, the best we know he had never gone and visited, hadn't yet been to, the, to, the, to, the, to Rome uh, and to the church at Rome. And so he's writing to this group, but he knew people that had come from there. We know that he knew Priscilla and Aquila, uh, that they had, uh, were ref refugees who had come out of Rome uh, that Paul had met along the way. So there were people, no doubt, that he had encountered uh, in the various churches that uh, maybe had been to Rome, come from Rome. And so he's writing this letter to these people. And uh, like many of the churches, uh, the New Testament churches, uh, you had uh, Jews that had, fl had uh, fleed from uh, out of Jerusalem because of the Roman persecutions and so forth and so there were in a lot of these churches that he's visiting Galatia uh, and, and and writing to Galatia and Rome in particular you have you have a mixture of Jews and Gentiles and uh, today in today's culture we'd say that's a diverse uh, diverse culture uh, there in the uh, in the churches well he did have that and and as, as he typically encountered, I know Brother Adam preached through the book of Galatians and talked about some of the things that were brought up there. You had Jews that were in these congregations. And as I kind of mentioned last Sunday, and I don't know if I ever really even completed my thought on this or not, but uh, one, of the, one of the things that we find in the modern Christian church, trying to teach people that have been previously taught something about Christianity, uh, it's very difficult for people a lot of times to overcome the previous teachings and things that they've been taught uh, about the Word of God. Well, the Jews had this same problem. They had been raised up under the law. They were taught the law all their lives. And now this, this new teaching is coming along, if you will, about uh, Christ is the fulfillment of the law and that Christ is the Messiah. And so the things they had been taught about 
without the law, it was hard for them to get over that hurdle to see that, uh, that Christ was truly the Messiah and the, and the teachings that he was teaching were the true teachings of both the Old Testament and the New Testament and how to fall in line with all of this. So Paul's having to address all of this uh, in this letter uh, to the Roman people and uh, he's try, uh, he starts out and I'll again give a, a quick rundown but not too much time this morning in talking about the fact one of the things that the Jews were uh, at, at Rome were, were struggling with, they were struggling with the law, they were struggling with the fact that there were Gentiles there who did not have the law uh, and seeing that, thinking that they themselves were better than the Gentiles that were there because we've had the law. Well, Paul goes on and kind of tears all that down and says, you're all condemned, uh, you're all sinners because we all sinned in Adam. Uh, and so we all fell in him, and he goes on and teaches in the uh, fifth chapter that while we, uh, by one man, sin entered into the world, uh, by one man also salvation came into the world. And so uh, uh, sin passed upon all, for, he said, because of, the, of Adam, uh, for all have sinned. In fact, he makes the comment that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all sinners by birth, by nature of being born with our, with our Adam nature that we have, uh, but he's also addressing a group of people that have been saved by the uh, blood of Jesus Christ and been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ uh, and redeemed. And so, and, uh, and uh, he's writing to this group of people at Rome that are saved by his grace. And so uh, as he begins to write to them, he, uh, he acknowledges the fact that uh, there, there, was, uh, there were those there, and again, I believe it was probably some of the Jews that were at the church at Rome, that were accusing Paul of teaching that uh, God somehow is glorified in our sin. And because sin is covered then by grace, and so the more you sin, the more grace and the more glory that God is given to God. In fact, in a sense, what they were accusing Paul of preaching is that uh, uh, God is responsible for our sins. And so, uh, and so Paul's having to undo that. Uh, and so in the sixth chapter, he addresses the fact that, uh, you know, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Uh, and so he goes down and addresses those issues. Then in the seventh chapter, he addresses the fact that uh, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And so uh, he uses the analogy of, uh, of a marriage and a divorce. And he says, you know, for those of you that know the law, talking again, I believe, to those Jews that were there at the Roman church, he says, uh, a man is, uh, the woman is bound to the man as long as the man lives, according to the law. And he says, but Christ, uh, uh, the law was fulfilled in Christ and in his, in his body, in his dead body. It says the law was fulfilled in him. He says, so you're dead to the law that you may be married to another. And that, that's a beautiful verse of scripture for me to, th to think about the fact that he uses uh, Christ and his death upon the cross and the fulfilling of the law of God and uses a marriage analogy to those, uh, to those Jews that were there, I think, saying, you're dead to the law. You don't have to be married to the law anymore. In fact, you're dead to it and you're free to be married to another, which is your Savior, Jesus Christ, and follow after him. And so as he's writing that there in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, he then goes on and acknowledges, but he says, you know, does this mean the law is bad or that the law is sinful? No, he says, without the, without the law, he said, I wouldn't have known sin. 
uh, and he said that, in fact, he goes on and talks about the fact uh, that the law is good and, and just. But he says, you know, when you're trying to do everything according to, the, according to your flesh and following after the law, he says, you're, you're bound to get into a conflict. And he, he goes through and I think uh, describes himself is the conflict that Paul had within himself. And he, and he further breaks that out, I think, when we get over to the 8th chapter of the book of, of Romans in the beginning part of the 8th chapter and tells you what this struggle truly is. Paul says, when I would do good, evil is always present with me. In fact, uh, what Paul said, uh, said about that was, he says, I, found, I, found, I find a law that when I would do good, Sin is always present with me. So uh, he didn't find that law written over in the Old Testament, by the way. <laughs> that was not a law that was written by God. Well, when you do good, evil is always going to be present. No, what Paul said was, I found a law. I found a law of nature, if you will, that almost says that when, when you're doing good, there's always this evil that seems to be around you and Paul goes on and describes the struggle that he faced when he would do good and uh, he said I do the things that I don't want to do and when I and I don't do the things I, I ought to do and so forth and he goes through this and he he, re he realizes this con conflict is within him Paul is really focusing on this and no doubt it's a struggle that all of us face I think that's one reason we can all kind of relate to this seventh chapter of the book of Romans is it's, it's a constant struggle that all of us faces and when he gets to the end of the seventh chapter he says oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death I mean you can just hear him pour it out he realizes there's sin within him even though he's been born again of the spirit of God he's had a he's had a heart change if you will and he has this law of his mind that he that he wants to serve that's good but he has this body and his flesh that still wants to serve after sin. And Paul's like, there's such a warfare going on within me. He says, who's going to deliver me from all this? And he says, I thank God. We'll, we'll now read the last verse. That, I thank God through Jesus Christ our, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. And so he thanks God. God's the one that delivers him from all this. And then so I think he further defines, and what I part, of, part of what I'm trying to do, I guess, again, go back and say this, is to show that even though chapters can, books and chapters, well, the books not necessarily, but the chapters and verses of the Bible were devised some 1,000 years ago, Paul didn't write this letter in, chapter, in uh, chapters and verses, Okay. He wrote a letter to the church at Rome. And so the letter flows. And so, uh, you know, just because we end the seventh chapter of the book of, uh, as it's laid out today, the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, it doesn't mean that Paul's thought ceases to, to exist and he's sw somehow switching gears. No, he wrote a letter. Uh, he wrote a letter in sentences that men eventually took, and I think did a good job. You know, I'll, I'll say that over, over the years, looking at how the chapters are divided and how the verses are broken up. The verses actually help us memorize the scriptures better by having it broken up into smaller chunks. And I think the chapters kind of give you a little, little mile post, and I think they did a good job of trying to say, there's a break here or a thought here. Let's, let's make this be the end of a chapter. Uh, so I think they did a good job. But I want you to understand that, this, that Paul didn't write a chapter and verse letter, okay? And so the thought continues from seven. So as he's struggling with this, 
uh, this, uh, uh, the fact that he, that he wants to, uh, uh, his flesh wants to try to serve the law, but he realizes he can't fulfill the law. And so he's, he realizes there's this struggle going on within him. And he's like, who's going to deliver me from this? It's a battle going on. And uh, he, sees, he, he thanks God that it's, he's the one that will do it. Then he begins verse uh, chapter 8 uh, with this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Not only is there no condemnation uh, because of what the work Christ has done for us, but you know what? You don't feel that condemnation when you're walking after the Spirit and, and, and not after the flesh. We could turn over to Galatians this morning because a lot of things that are written in, Gala in the Galatian letter are mirrored uh, in, the, uh, in the Roman letter. And then so Paul, Paul goes through the same, some of the same things. You had some of the same issues, I think, in the church at Galatia as you have in the church at Rome. And so he addresses some of the exact same issues. Uh, and, and I might just turn over there for a moment if I can uh, to that. Uh, Galatian letter, and uh, many of you, many of you know, as you see me uh, struggling sometimes to turn uh, pages in my Bible. Uh, I told the folks here last week my two Bibles that I have used forever and ever and ever uh, are are currently residing in Greenwood, Mississippi, to be rebound. Uh, I finally decided that they were, if I didn't do something, they were going to come apart on me, and so I carried them over there. So I am using a Bible that I've had for years. But I don't haven't used it that much through the years, and they just look different, okay? <laughs> Even though they're the same. Uh, so in the Galatian letter, he says he tells us this. He says, uh, and make sure that I'm I'm going uh, to the right to the right place. Let's turn to the. Uh, Trying to look and see if I want to go to the fifth chapter or to the uh, yes, let's to the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I Paul say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Again, addressing one of the same issues that had come up at Galatia uh, of people trying to fulfill, thinking they needed to fulfill the law as part of their service to God and trying to get others to do that. Uh, and Paul said, you're, you're, the law is passed. Christ fulfilled the law. He says, it's not your circumcision or your uncircumcision that counts for anything. He says, I testify again, every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Uh, and, and, you know, that does not mean that you've lost your salvation. Uh, it just means you've lost from, the, lost from the benefits of the grace of God because you're trying to do it through your own works and your own, uh, your own self. He says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. If you did run, you did run well, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So he begins to uh, condemn the things of the law, and he tells them in here, uh, and I'll try, try to get on over to this portion of the scripture here in this fifth, fifth chapter. He says this, <clears throat> For all, for, verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed 
one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Now I want you to think now what we're about to talk about in the first part of this eighth chapter of, of Romans, it's kind of a, a mirror uh, image of the same types of things. Uh, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These things are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Paul says, when you're, when you're following after the flesh, you're not following after the Spirit. And these two are contrary to one another. In other words, they work opposite of each other so that you can't do the things that you would do. And so uh, if we go back to the Roman letter now, after Paul has described this conflict that he has within himself, uh, how he you know, does things that he doesn't want to do at times, and at other times he's not doing the things that he knows he should do, uh, and he, he realizes that there's this warfare going on, and he recognizes the only way he's going to be delivered from that is through Jesus Christ and through our Lord. And so he says, uh, there's no condemnation to them now which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And then as he goes through this first portion of the 8th chapter, and we did that last Sunday, uh, he's describing how uh, the fact that we're not debtors to the flesh. We're not debtors to fulfill and follow after what the flesh wants to do. Our debt is to the Spirit of God and to Jesus Christ. That's where our debt is, is at. And so he says, don't, don't always be fulfilling the desires of what your flesh wants to do because he says, uh, we're, you're not a debtor to the flesh. Uh, and he, as he emphasizes that over and over again, and he talks about here in this 8th chapter, uh, uh, this. He says, verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Uh, I think that's part of what Brother Derek was talking about this morning. Our carnal mind is, is, a, is a death to us. Uh, to follow after what the carnal mind is constantly thinking and constantly uh, looking into. He said, to be spiritually minded, that's where your life and your peace is. That's kind of like we were talking about longing after the melons and longing after the cucumbers. That's what the flesh wants to do. Uh, but he says, be satisfied with the bread of life, the manna of God, the things of the Spirit. Let that be your sustenance. That's your life and your peace. And he says, for then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible when we're operating from a fleshly standpoint, and that's whether we're getting off, getting off and saying, well, you know, whether it's your anger, whether it's your revenge, whether it's your I'm going to get you back. All those are fleshly ways of thinking. Uh, uh, and, uh, and so uh, when we're in that mindset and in that thought, thought process, we're just being carnally minded. Uh, and he says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh. And this is an important part in all of this. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ... He's none of his. <laughs> the, the evidence that you belong to Christ is the fact that Christ dwells in you. Uh, and we can go back and talk about how all that comes about by reading the third chapter of the book of, of John, but we'll not do that this morning, how, being, how you're being born of the Spirit of God uh, by, his, uh, by his work. But he says, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. He's building a case over and over again about this flesh, this body, the sin that we have, 
That was the whole, if we went all the way back to the fifth chapter again, we would go back to the fact that you're, you're a sinner because, and by your nature and your body and, and your flesh have a sin nature in them uh, because it comes down through the line of your nature from, from your father, Adam. And, uh, but he's building the fact that's not really who you are. Who you really are and where your debt is owed to is the one that's redeemed you and bought you and purchased you by his death on the cross and saved you by his shed blood. That's where your real debt is, is in this life. And so he says, if, ye, if, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So if you have the spirit of God in you, you have life because of the righteousness of the one that died for you. But he says, uh, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now he's beginning to give you a glimpse, I think, of the resurrection of the body. It's it, not only is he going to born you again, but he's also going to quicken your mortal bodies. And he gets into that a little bit further down down below this. So if you're if you're I think what is uh, if we think about this morning, your struggle, my struggle, our struggle in this life is sin, and we have a sin nature, and our sin nature is with us because of our mortal bodies. But he says. You know, if I could put in another word, but be of good cheer. <laughs> Why? Because your mortal body is going to be quickened one of these days and changed and turned into a glorified body. So don't don't fret. And, and then he gets on into that. I think as we go down through here, he said, uh, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, Ye shall live. We'll truly live and, and have a more joyful, happy life by following after the things of the Spirit of God. So, for as many are as led by the Spirit of God, uh, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So, uh, and, and and to further understand, uh, I think adoption is taught in a couple of different senses in the Scripture. We could turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, and it talks to us there about how we were predestinated unto adoption of sons by Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, being adopted uh, uh, then makes us the near kinsman. Uh, uh, makes him our near kinsman that had the price that is able to redeem us. That's Old Testament law. Uh, that it's the near kinsman that has the ability to pay your debt uh, that, uh, that uh, is required to pay that debt. And so Jesus Christ was our near kinsman. Why? Because we were adopted into his family and we were predestinated to be adopted uh, as sons of God. And so here he talks about adoption. And this, I think he carries adoption to another area uh, as, he, as he defines it a little bit lower, that he adopts our bodies. He not only adopts us spirit and soul, 
He adopts our old sinful bodies too, right? Uh, that's part of what's taught if we turn over 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that he redeemed us, body, soul, and spirit. And so as he talks about here, we've not received the spirit of God, bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, or Father, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How, how is it one that one day you realize, and maybe it was, you know, maybe it was through the hearing of the gospel, but maybe it was just a feeling you had inside that you just knew you had changed. Uh, for many of us, and I say for many of us because I think uh, very many of you and, and maybe many of God's children, whether they know it or not, probably had the same experience that John the Baptist had. They were probably born again of the Spirit of God even in their mother's wombs, okay? Uh, the Bible tells us that John the Baptist leaped for joy in, in Elizabeth's womb womb, being filled with the Spirit. I believe that's what it says, being filled with the Spirit. He leaped for joy in his mother's womb at the very salutation of Mary, the mother of Christ, uh, who was already uh, uh, pregnant at that time with Jesus. Uh, and at the very greeting of Mary to Elizabeth, John the Baptist leaped in the womb. I, I, that's just one of those stories that just kind of, you know, flips you out a little bit. Just uh, amazing to think about the fact uh, of that fact. I think many of us are probably born of the Spirit before we're ever born into this world naturally. Uh, I've, I've made the comments, you know, I, I remember as a child, I, I cannot remember time. Maybe you can't either. I can't remember a time. I can remember a time when I didn't live like I should. <laughs> uh, that's pretty easy for, for me to remember that. Uh, but I can't remember a time when I didn't love the Lord and that I thought Jesus Christ was Savior. I really can't remember that. I'm sure if you go back and say, well, Brother Charles, when you were six months old, yeah, but I don't remember when I was six months old. Okay, so, uh, you know, uh, was there a time when I, but I don't remember time. And uh, growing up, going to church, hearing the, the gospel message, uh, it, it just, somewhere along the way, I, you know, I realized I believe Jesus is the Savior, uh, and, I, and it seems like that's as far back as I can remember. Anyway, he says, You've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit, bear, the spirit capital S, uh, bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. We have this knowing, uh, this loving, this caring, this feeling down inside of us because the Spirit's bearing witness with us because, that He's placed within us. And he says, if the, and if children that heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that you, we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Uh, so the sufferings of this life, when we suffer here because of our beliefs, uh, maybe you're shunned. Maybe people make fun of you uh, uh, for going to church on Sunday morning. Or maybe they make fun of you for other reasons about your lifestyle. And you don't live the lifestyle that many people uh, uh, out there are living. Uh, maybe somehow or another you're, uh, you're reproached for, the, for those reasons. Uh, he says, the suffering that you have here... You're just, if you're suffering, he says, think about this. Christ suffered while he was here too. There were those that didn't believe him, that mocked him, that made fun of him, that sped upon him, that beat him, and so forth. And th there were those that wanted to kill him and cast him off the hill of the city. Uh, but the Bible says it wasn't his time. So there were a lot of reproaches and condemnations that Jesus had. Can you imagine being the son of God? I, I don't know that... I, I can't imagine that. But anyway, uh, can you imagine being the Son of God who created all things by your spoken word? You were the creator, 
that went out and created all this and being uh, mocked and made fun of uh, and, and blasphemed uh, and so forth. Can you imagine that? And, and, and a sinful world, it's, it's probably beyond our thought process sometimes to even think about what he suffered in that sense. And so it says, if children were heirs, heirs of God, uh, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that, that's part of what I think in the context of this verse we become joint heirs with him. I know we're joint heirs with him in heaven, heirs of God, joint heirs with him. But when we suffer here in this life, then, then we really become joint heirs with him in this, uh, uh, in, this, uh, in this world that we live in. So he says that we may be glorified together. For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So whatever sufferings you face in this life, he says... Keep, keep your sufferings in the right perspective. You know, I don't know if we think about it today. You know, there's things that many of us have suffered through, things with jobs, uh, things with death, things with sickness and illness uh, that have come maybe to your, you personally, or maybe it's those that you've known that have had illnesses or sicknesses or things or, or whatever might, you might have faced, or injury, or other things that happen to people in this life, or just, you know, you never did get to do all the things you wanted to do, or whatever else it is, you know, you feel like, he said, the sufferings of this life, and I think particularly in context of this, the sufferings that you suffer in this life for serving the Lord and following after the Spirit, not the flesh, the sufferings that you have in this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And, and I think all of this, Paul is trying to paint a perspective for us. While we're here in this world, we've got this struggle going on. He's telling us you're not a debtor to the flesh. You're actually a debtor to the Spirit. But when you follow after the Spirit of God, you may suffer in this life and, uh, and suffer persecution and hardship and so forth uh, because of that. But he says, just remember, the sufferings that you have in this life, they're not even on the same scale with the glory that you're going to have in him uh, one of these days. And so I think as we go through life, well, it is so, it, it's just so important. Uh, and I know for young families, you know, young families, children, young families that may have children uh, and so forth one of these days, you know, life seems like, you know, seems like a, a long, long road yet, okay? I'll just put it that way. Uh, but I think it, he's telling us the one of the, one of the perspectives that, gets, that has the best uh, influence on you is to remember this world is really not your home. Don't get so anchored down. Don't get so anchored in, bought into the things of this world because one of these days you're going to leave all of it behind. <laughs> and you'll leave it to your kids and your kids won't want it and they don't care and so forth. And uh, just remember, you know, you're not, this world is not your home to start with. And remember, the, the, most, the most important thing you have lies out there in front of you where your mortal bodies are going to be changed into glorified bodies. They won't cause you a problem anymore. The flesh won't cause you a problem one of these days because it's going to be changed. It's going to be glorified. And so not only, not only that, the sufferings that you have here, they're not even worthy to be compared. And it sort of begins, you sort of begin to get a different mindset, if, if you will, on the sufferings that you have. Paul never says, uh, be a Christian, you'll have no more sufferings, you'll never have another problem. 
Paul doesn't say that. He just says the sufferings that you have in this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed uh, in us. And so he says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. I believe he's talking about this creature, this creation that we have here, this natural, uh, uh, this, this new creature that we have within us, this new creature, this new creation that we have in Christ Jesus. Go and read about it. Second, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17, 18, and 19. You're a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Uh, same, same area where he's talking about being ambassadors uh, to Christ. And so he says, the creature is waiting. What we're waiting for is the manifestation of the sons of God. That's, that's really what, we're, what we should be looking for. And he says, uh, for the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of, the, of him who is subjected the same in hope. You know, uh, vanity, and we, I think we mentioned this last Sunday, vanity is kind of like the, the pitfall of all of, of mankind, right? Uh, that's what got to Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, Eve in particular, you know, the eat the, eat the fruit. I think we're talking, eat the fruit. It'll be good. <laughs> uh, you'll be like God. You'll know things like God. And, and the, the vanity and so forth of being that way, it just sucked her right in. Uh, and a lot of times, people suck us in too, you know. We're subject to vanity, but we've also been made subject uh, to hope, uh, to looking forward uh, to things also. And so Paul goes on to saying this, because the creature itself also, also shall be delivered from the bondage of the corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The creature's going to be freed too one of these days. He's going to be freed from the bondage of this old flesh. He's going to be liberated, uh, changed uh, and to, to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation... I think flesh and spirit groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. What we have right now, you and I have the first fruits. We don't have the full you know, I'm not saying the spirit that dwells in you is not the full spirit of God. I don't mean it that way. I'm just saying the, the fruits that we have of the spirit here, it's really just kind of the first fruits. It's the very beginning of things. The first fruits in the Old Testament, that was the, that was the first crop that came in. The first ones that came out, and that was the ones that the children of Israel, they would offer the first fruits to God. And then God would bless the rest of the harvest for them, to, for them to receive. He says what we have now, he says, and not only they, talking about this whole creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. What we're really waiting for is for this flesh to be swallowed up in victory and to be changed so that the flesh is not our problem anymore. There won't be the battle anymore that we're facing. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what man seeth, what did he yet hope for? Well, it's, it's evident. I don't have to even hardly say this too much, I don't think, to make the point. We don't, you know, 
to know we're going to have a glorified body and that things are going to be changed one of these days, we can't see that. Uh, I can see it by an eye of faith. Okay, and I have, you know, and probably there's some idea in my mind how wonderful it's going to be, how great it's going to be. But that's the reason I hope for it. It's because I haven't seen it yet. He says, the things that you've seen, you don't hope for things that you've already seen. He says, you hope for things that you haven't seen yet. Uh, and we haven't seen the change that's going to take place, but we kind of anticipate it. Uh, and it's not that this hope is some wish. It's an earnest expectation based on the promises of the Word of God that this change is going to take place, okay? So he says, for we sa we're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why do they yet hope for it? Uh, but if we hope for that we see not, we then do with patience wait for it. I preached on this probably several months ago, but if you go and read in the book of, in the book of Hebrews and read the very last section of the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews before, you, before Paul gets into the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews where he's talking about all those great men of faith. The thing that he mentions just before that uh, 11th chapter where he starts into all those people, men and women of faith there in the, in the 11th chapter, he mentions patience and how patience is so important. And, and then I think that, that message echoes over and as you look at each one of those individuals and we've talked about uh, before Think about Abraham and his patience that he had to wait for the promise of God to be fulfilled. 25 years after God had told him he would bless him to have a son uh, and that in him would all the nations of the earth would be blessed. 25 years passed by from the time he left of Ur of Chaldees to the fulfillment of that. Patience, patience. And, and Abraham wasn't always patient. Him and Sarah tried to fix it themselves, you know, there at one point. And uh, what they got was an Ishmael uh, and uh, uh, a little child by the handmaid. Uh, so, you know, but, but he eventually, even after that happened, God came back to him and told him, he's not, he's not the one. He's not the seed. I'm going to give you a seed. And so uh, he had to then patiently wait to when God was ready to give it to him. And he, I think as he talks about here, for if we hope for that we see not, we then do with patience wait for it. You know, I, I think about this, you know, I know that when Christ comes back, the Bible tells us, 1 Thess Thessalonians chapter 4, that the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and those of us that are alive and remain uh, will be changed in a moment, the twinkling of eye, and we'll meet him then in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I know that it says that, and there's times when I anticipate and hope and say, you know, Lord, things sure are getting bad in this world. Uh, and it'd be okay with me if you just came back today. <laughs> and it would be. <laughs> just come back today in the clouds. Let me see you coming into glory. Uh, that'd be a wonderful, wonderful sight. But you know what? Even though he's promised that he's going to do that, you know what I'm doing right now? I, 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 well, I, maybe I don't do always a good job. But I, I'm patiently having to wait. That's what, that's what I've got. That's what you and I have got. We have to patiently wait for that that we haven't seen. And he says, uh, likewise. Now, this is kind of interesting, I think, as we transition into the last part of this portion of the, of the Bible, uh, of the eighth chapter here. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. So when we are, are in doubt, when we are in uh, struggling uh, with the flesh when we're struggling with our doubts and our fears of the fact, is he going to come? Is he going to feel? 
The Spirit helpeth our infirmities. The Spirit of God that dwells in you by the grace of God. The Spirit is what helps your infirmities. And he says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So, when you, while you and I are waiting... He mentions two things here that, that, are, that are working together for us. One, the Spirit is working together for us, and, and the Spirit is working together for us in prayer and intercession with Jesus Christ and making sure that the one that knows our very hearts and our feelings, the Spirit of God dwelling in us, He's interceding for me and you with utterances that you and I can't even utter at times. Have you ever just gotten down? And, and I think about situations like with Sawyer or like with uh, your cousin or, or other circumstances that all of us and we tr And we're praying and we're trying to pray as hard as we know how. And at some point in that prayer, you just get to the place where you just don't know what else you can say or how to say it. And you... And you just sort of cry out, God, you know what my heart is. <laughs> you know what I'm really, even if I can't say it, even if I can't put it into the words of a prayer just right, you know what I'm feeling. You know what my desire is. And I trust that my desire and your desire are the same. Please hear my prayer. And you just kind of, but the Spirit knows exactly how you're feeling, and he, and he intercedes for us in prayer. So while we're struggling in this life, I want to go back and connect now. Six, seven, eight, flesh, spirit, law, trying to keep all these things, the battle that's going on within us. What we have is we have the spirit helping our infirmities, and we have prayer as a weapon through the spirit interceding there for us. Okay? So that's, that's two of the things. And then, remember, he's pointed us toward the adoption of the body, that the body is eventually going to be changed. The resurrection and the changing of the bodies is going to occur this is another realm of the hope that we have that's to sustain us while we're here in this life, okay? So he says, for if we do, uh, let's go back and read. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is, not, that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why do he yet hope for? But if, we with, uh, but if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities as we're hoping, the Spirit helps our infirmities, for we know not how we should know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose probably the one of the most misused scriptures in the in the uh, new testament is people telling you in the midst of your sufferings that everything's working together for your good well we've already we've already mentioned one verse of scripture uh, the flesh and the spirit are contrary to one another and these so that you cannot do the things that you would so we know that all things don't work together everything in the world doesn't work together for your good and and sin certainly doesn't work together for your good but I'll tell you there are some all things that are mentioned here that are working together for your good 
and the all one of the all things is is the is the spirit of God who's interceding for you. That's working together for your good. Your prayer and your hope are working together for your for your good. Uh, and so he says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For I think you have to read the whole thing together. If you, if you focus on that one verse, you, miss, you mentioned the far, because that word far then is kind of like a because. Uh, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, so this hope that we've been talking about, this hope of this body being changed uh, and, uh, and changed from a mortal body, a sinful body, into a body that's conformed to his image, uh, he's telling you this is sure. Part of the reason you could hope. Uh, Abraham, and I'm going to go back to Abraham again, but but uh, Paul used Abraham in the fifth chapter of the book of, of Romans, so I don't feel bad going back and talking about Abraham. And Abraham's a, a father figure throughout all the scriptures. Abraham came, you know, believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But Abraham came to truly see that when God says it, it's true over a period of time. We, ha we, have, we have the word of God in a 2,000-year or 4,000-year well, for us today, 6,000-year record of the promises of God being fulfilled one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. And so what he's telling us here is we have a hope that this body that causes us so much trouble and this flesh that wants to serve itself and serve the law and, and try to get it done ourselves, this flesh is going to be changed one of, the day, one of these days. And the reason we know that it's going to happen is because... For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. If you want to know who the firstborn is, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and see that Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Okay, and that follows on. He says it also here in this 8th chapter. But So what does that mean? Uh, that means he was the first one to come out of the grave and live forever and ever and ever, okay? We know Lazarus came from the grave, but Lazarus, while it's, whether it's recorded or not, Lazarus eventually died again. And all those that were raised from the dead, whether it's the, the young boys that were over there in the Old Testament Scripture, or whether it's the young boys that were raised up in the New Testament or so forth, all of them died again. Christ was the firstborn from the dead that lived forever and ever and ever, okay? And he says, for, we, for whom he did foreknow, and that word foreknow, I, I, a lot of times people kind of try to relate it to the fact that God is, God is omniscient. He knows all things. Well, God does know all things. Uh, there's nothing that he doesn't know uh, and so forth. But this foreknowing is a little bit more. This is like a preordained uh, 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 knowing that he has. And in fact, I'd say it's also probably rooted in the fact that you can go back and look. Don't know that you'd find this in the root elements of the word or not, and I don't think you would. But it's also, when, you, when we think about Scripture talks about knowing someone, it's talking about love taking place. He foreknew us through his love, through the choice that he made before the foundation of the world. And so, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, 
above and beyond the fact that he predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. So the very ones that he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, he called. What does that calling mean? Well, it's a gift that God gives each and every one of us. In fact, when I think of the calling, uh, it's the gift of eternal life. It's the gift of the new birth. It's the fact he called you from a death in sins to a life in Christ. So all those that he predestinated, uh, uh, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. He, he declared you righteous. He declared you just before God. So we have the fact that he foreknew a people. And I may turn over to Ephesians chapter 1 to just look at that a little bit more. But uh, he, he foreknew a people and the same, the same exact group that he foreknew, he predestinated um, uh, and, and whom he predestinated, them he also called the exact same group. Without The Bible would say if we turn over to uh, the 10th chapter of the book of John, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Without the loss of a single one, the predestinated and the called and the, uh, and the uh, justified and the glorified are all the same group of people. We see them over in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. It's a great innumerable host that no man can number. God, when Christ died upon the cross, he didn't die for some little group. He didn't decide die for one little uh, for one little nation or one little group of people. He died for a great innumerable host out of every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe on the face of the earth. And so when he says, uh, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the images of his son, that he might be the firstborn, the first one to come forth and live forever. Uh, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Uh, and whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? Well, a lot of people today say, well, I don't believe that. <laughs> oh, you don't? It's in the Bible. Uh, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God chose you, if, if God predestinated you, if God has called you, if God has justified you, if God is in his mind and purpose has already glorified you, what can you say to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? Uh, uh, and he goes on and he says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not uh, with him freely give us all things? The things that are laid out here in this portion of Scripture. Justification, glorification, calling, predestinated to be, have a changed body. Uh, if all these things are sure, and if all these things are sure in him, doesn't that give you hope today? I mean, we're not just hoping, like people use the word today. We're not just wishing and hoping that one of these days we're going to be with him. If, you, if God's Spirit dwells in you, then I can also assure you by the Word of God that, uh, that God is also going to change these old mortal bodies of yours, this flesh that causes you problems. Well, you say, well, what kind of problems? You know, if, if nothing else, the flesh... One of, the, one of the problems the flesh is going to cause me uh, at some point uh, here, no doubt, uh, my old flesh is going to get weaker and weaker. And the things that I want to do, I won't be able to do. Uh, now, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy being able to get out. And uh, as I've told people before, it may take me longer to do things that I used to could do. <laughs> 
but I can still pretty much do things I've always done. It might just take a little longer than it used to. But the time's going to come where I won't even be able to do that. My old flesh is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And, uh, you know, it's going to have uh, strokes and it's going to have heart attacks and it's going to have cancer and it's going to have uh, be subject to COVID-19. <laughs> the, fl the flesh is just always going to be. But one of these days, by the promise of the Word of God, it's going to be changed into a glorified body and it's not going to cause you a single problem anymore. And your old carnal mind is not going to cause you any problems anymore because it's going to be changed into a glorified body. And so all these things that are afflicting us, that are causing us sufferings here in this life. It's not going to be there anymore. And he, God has said that He's foreknown us, He's predestinated us, He's called us, He's justified us, He's glorified us. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. And He says, He that spared not His only Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not... Shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who can, you know, I always think when I ever, whenever I read this portion of Scripture here, my mind always kind of turns back to the scene over there in the first chapter of the book of Job. And you've got the accuser over there who's standing there in the presence of the sons of God. And as they come before God, there's, a, there's the accuser there also and says, yeah, but what about your old servant Job? He's not really as good as you think he is, you know. And so, so you know what? He there was a time when he could accuse us before God. There's no one that can condemn you now. There's no accuser that can stand there. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ has justified you and saved you and redeemed you, my friends. And so the accuser, there's no, no accuser anymore. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's leg? It's God that justified it. He didn't miss a single sin. When he died for your sins on the cross and he shed his blood for you, he didn't miss a single one of them, okay? He knows about it. It's God that justifieth. And so uh, uh, who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that's risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. It's Christ that's doing this. It's the Spirit that's interceding for you in prayer. It's Christ that's sitting on the right hand of the throne of God who saved you and, and purchased and, and paid for every sin. <clears throat> who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And I, and I want to point this out as I read through this. Uh, it says, who shall separate you from the love of Christ? But then it goes on and listen, lists a whole list of things, Okay. But I want you to put this in perspective, and we'll kind of read it like this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall cause you tribulation? Who shall cause you distress? Or who shall cause you persecution? Or cause, who shall cause you famine? Or who shall cause you have nakedness or peril or sword? Who can do all of this? And if they can, and if they can cause all of this... Does this separate you from the love of Christ? You know, in this world, most of the time, the tribulations, the troubles, the perils, the problems that we have are caused by somebody. Uh, it's either caused by a who or it's caused by a what. Uh, sometimes the what is the government. Behind the government's also a who. Uh, so who can cause tribulation or distress or peril or sword? Uh, who can, uh, who, what of these things and who can separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep 
for the slaughter. Go read the 44th chapter of the book of, of Psalms. That's where that's quoted from, uh, or one of the places it's quoted from. And it's talking about how God was judging his people because of their sins. And, and many of them were, were uh, put to death, but God still didn't abandon them, okay? Uh, and so he says, uh, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. Paul was absolutely uh, convinced is the word I want to... He wasn't just kind of, uh, I think I'm persuaded. He was convinced, uh, if you will, that neither death, nor life, nor angels nor principalities, uh, or powers, I'll say demons, the powers of Satan, the powers of the, of the, uh, of the world of darkness, uh, nor things present, nor things to come. So if you're thinking something, that, yeah, but I, I feel like I can get by the things that are going on right now, but I don't know what's out here in front of me. Well, it doesn't matter if it's the things present or the things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from his love. If he loved you, you know, that's what I always get fascinated about and thinking about some people and people that are children of God. I just want to say it that way. But there, there's so many things that are taught by people that are, that are children of God, that uh, believe in Christ, that believe that Christ is their Savior. Uh, but they have, they have so many different things that they teach today. And so uh, the Bible says there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Uh, and in fact, when we're born again, we're given eternal life. But there are those that teach out there that you can be separated from the love of God if you don't believe, if somehow you fall off into unbelief or some gross error of sin. Uh, and, and they forget in all that, they forget to go back and look at people like David. And they forget and go back, forget and go back. You know, the Bible says that Lot is, is a just Lot. Uh, but if we go and look at Lot's last scene in the Bible, uh, over in the book of Genesis, uh, he's, uh, he's uh, committing sin with uh, two of his daughter-in-laws uh, and, and so forth. So, you know, there's so all of these things, but yet God describes him as just because God sees him and me and you and David and Abraham and all the other people of the, and Samson and other great he sees them and us through the blood of Jesus Christ and there's nothing that can separate us from his love may God bless you uh, and let me just add this in right at the end of this because this is what I wanted to say as we're struggling with this with this flesh part of what he's pointing us to is we have a hope we have a hope that goes beyond this world we have a hope that this old mortal body, this old carnal mind is going to be swallowed up in a glorified body. And that hope is what we, we are to cling to and to look to as we're struggling here in this old life. Paul is saying, you're going to struggle, it's just part of it. Uh, you, have a, you have two natures within you and they're struggling together. But the way you, you are able to do that, we're conquerors through Christ. But here in this natural life, keeping our focus on the fact this doesn't go on forever. God is going to go on, is going to win, and we're not good. That's the hope that we have that we can anchor to while we're living here. May God bless you, is our prayer.
that sort of 